Well, when I uh, thought about a way to begin the message today, I thought about that movie, uh, Evan Almighty. And uh, it is not at all a biblically accurate or um, relevant in terms of the the text experience uh, that Evan Baxter has related to Noah's experience. But I think what it does is give us an opportunity to put ourselves in the shoes of Noah. Some of you say, I feel like a BG right now. I could use a shave and a haircut. But, But beyond the superficial, the experience that Evan has in the movie shows us how difficult it is to go through what Noah did. And as I've been reading through the story of Noah over the last few weeks, I've been overwhelmed with the um, emotion and thinking through what it would have been like for Noah to go through what he went through. And I have found so many places in this story where I feel like walking in Noah's shoes at times is walking through the emotions that I'm feeling. And I I believe this might be the same thing for you. If you think about it, Noah spent a long time doing something that was difficult and hard, and there's a good chance he did it by himself. And I have to believe that as Noah followed God's calling on his life, he felt a profound sense of loneliness. Loneliness was already a problem in our world and culture before COVID-19. But how much more is it a problem now where so many of us are physically isolated and emotionally lonely? As Noah went through what he went through, and we'll talk more about this today, he had to feel a profound sense of discouragement. Times where he wondered, does this matter? Am I doing the right thing? Am I ever going to get there? Am I ever going to get through this? And discouragement seems to be the inevitable experience for all of us during this time where we're struggling to find the momentum and oomph to keep going. You know, Noah probably also dealt with a tremendous amount of judgment as people looked over and saw him do what he did, but didn't understand it. They didn't understand what God was doing. They didn't hear what God told him. And so as a result, they judged him, maybe even ridiculed him. And social media is a great thing to help us all stay connected during this time, but it's also the place where we see each other judge each other for how we're responding or not responding for the views we have or the views we don't have during this time. I have to believe that at some point in the experience too, Noah felt overwhelmed by the calling that God put in his life to build this massive ark and to step out and follow God in a unique way that no one else would. And all of us at some point over the last few weeks have had at least one moment where we felt overwhelmed. Maybe if the storm that you're in isn't even COVID-19, maybe you just feel overwhelmed by life and you can relate to Noah. And finally, there's the guilt. I mean, Noah is the only one in the end, along with his family, who gets saved. And I have to believe that that survivor's guilt was real. Some of us feel guilty that we're not struggling as much as other people are. Some of us feel guilty that this isn't as hard on us as it is for other people. Some of us feel guilty that we still have jobs while friends don't, or we're still healthy while others don't. Or we have resources to draw on that others don't. And that guilt comes in. And our hope really has been that over these five weeks in April and May, as we lean into the story of Noah, that we wouldn't take Noah up to this place where he is this superhuman. He is this God in the story. The hero of the story is God for what God does in the life of Noah. But I think we can see in Noah a profound and real humanity 
that gives us an opportunity to embrace our own during this time because Noah is just as human as we are. So we started this series last week called Unsinkable, talking about how do we navigate the epic storms in life. And we started the series talking about what happens when we meet our storms and what happens when we don't understand what God is doing, but he still calls us to obey. And I hope you put up your cards in your house, the cards that remind you that God calls us to trust him and obey him, even if we never understand what he's doing. And our hope is to continue to come alongside you to provide resources for you and help for you on a really practical level. And you can get that today at prescottcornerstone.com slash unsinkable. We've added some more this week. But today, as we kind of step even further into the story of Noah, we're going to talk about a central principle, a big idea, and then we're going to unpack it in the scriptures today. And here's what that big idea is today. That the storm often feels different in the middle than it did in the beginning. The storm often feels different in the middle than it did in the beginning. Sometimes in the beginning, we we feel more hope than we do in the middle. Sometimes in the beginning, we feel stronger than we do in the middle. And sometimes in the beginning, we have a sense of how the storm is going to go that by the middle we have to deal with because it's not looking like we thought it did. I said that this is one of the easiest passages and stories to find in scripture. And it's in the very beginning. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up, turn it on, go to Genesis chapter 7. Noah's story is told in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. We're going to be in Genesis 7 today. If you're new to the Bible or new to church, we're so glad you're here. This is an awesome time to be coming into a spiritual community and getting hope and encouragement. Genesis, the first book in the Bible, it's the easiest one to find. It's really hard to miss. And today, as we look at this passage of scripture, we're going to learn three lessons from Noah's first day in the flood. If you didn't catch last week's message, you can go online to our website, prescottcornerstone.com, and check that out. Talk about what happens before the flood in that message. And now we're talking about the beginning of the flood. And we're going to start in Genesis 7. And here's what it says. It says, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. The first lesson that we learned from Noah's first days in the flood is that storms are often more difficult than we expect. Storms are often more difficult than we expect. Sometimes when you begin a storm, the idea and sense you have of how that's going to go is, is understating or under-anticipating what the difficulty actually looks like. And in the life of Noah, the, he, he goes in in Genesis 7 right here into the boat, but he's been in this storm a long time, even though there, there's no rain falling yet. We learned last week that Noah has been building the ark. And according to Bible scholars, it took anywhere from three to a hundred years to build this ark that was the length of one and a half football fields. He's been in this storm, this challenging season in his life for three to a hundred years. And he finally builds the ark and maybe he's thinking, okay, finally did it. Okay, that's done. 
When in actuality, just building the ark was just the beginning of the actual storm. Many times we, we go through a storm or a trial or a difficulty in our lives. We think, okay, whew, I made it. When in actuality, we made it through the beginning and it's just getting started. If you've ever been through the storm or the trial of, of losing a loved one, many times people look at the funeral as the end of the storm. And they think, okay, things are done. The hard stuff's over. And if you've ever been through that kind of storm in your life, you know, the storm is just getting started. The grief is just getting started. The adjustment and the new normal is just getting started. And so many times storms in our life are more difficult than we expect because the difficulty keeps going and we think we hit a milestone and we're done and it's just getting started. And and for Noah, he's built the ark now and it's almost like God says, okay, you win. Here's the prize. Now you get to go into the flood. The storm that was building the ark moves into the actual storm of the flood. And it's often at this point that many of us get discouraged. We feel like we've already done so many hard and difficult things. And then we look up and we see that there are more hard and difficult things ahead. And we begin to get discouraged. We begin to beat ourselves up. We begin to lose hope. One of my favorite things to do uh, is to study quotes. I'm a big quote person. I collect quotes. And uh, one of my favorite websites I've discovered in recent years is a website called quoteinvestigator.com because just because you see a quote online attributed to someone doesn't mean they actually said it. So if it involves the internet, Abraham Lincoln, Martin, Mark Twain, probably not the ones who said it. And so I often use Quote Investigator to figure out who actually said some of my favorite quotes. And I discovered this week the original author of a famous quote. His name is Ian McLaren, and he is the one who said, Be pitiful, for everyone is fighting a hard battle. And you might say, Scott, that doesn't sound like the quote I know there. Well, that's because when Ian McLaren said this, it was the 1800s. And in that day, pitiful meant something different than we mean it today. In that day, pitiful meant full or characterized by pity, compassionate, merciful, and tender. That's why the version of the quote you've probably heard is be kind. You could also say be compassionate, be tender, for everyone is fighting a hard battle. McLaren reminds us that when people are going through a hard battle, the temptation with ourselves and with others is to be anything but kind, compassionate, and tender. So often our tendency is to be judgmental, to be shaming, to not be helpful, and to not be tender. And yet, we need to remember that it isn't just a good idea to do these things. This is how God responds to us with tenderness. In the book of Luke, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, rejoices at God's treatment of him, even when he lacked faith, even when he struggled in his life. And here's what Zechariah said. He said, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those of us who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about it, but, but God acts towards you with tender mercy 
And that's why there's an opportunity for you and me to give ourselves and others tender mercy, kindness, and compassion when we're in the storm and it's becoming more difficult than we realized. The first question I want to ask you today is this. What if we were compassionate, merciful, and tender with others and ourselves? Because God is responding to us in that same way. What if instead of getting discouraged or shaming yourself or judging yourself for, for not feeling motivated to keep going in the difficulty, instead you responded with tenderness? What if when you saw somebody else struggling with something that maybe you don't struggle with, what if instead of shaming them and judging them for being different than you, what if you came alongside them with compassion, mercy, and tenderness? I know these things are hard to share on social media, but what if when you see somebody post something you don't agree with, what if you didn't, you know, get excited and jump in for a fight to try to convince them? Because we all change our minds based upon what we read on social media. What if instead you responded with compassion, mercy, and tenderness? Because everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And for many of them, it's more difficult now than they thought it was going to be in the beginning. Let's keep going with, with Noah's story. In verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the ground according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all the flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The second lesson that we learned from Noah's first days in the flood is that storms challenge our beliefs about God. When you go through a storm, one of the inevitable things that happen is you're going to have to examine what you believe about God and is it true in the midst of the most difficult time. And I, I commented and made a little bit of an extra focus as I was reading on the last words there in Genesis 6, sorry, Genesis 7, 16. When that passage ends, it says something really interesting and I've bolded it on the slide. It says, and the Lord shut him in. So when the door closes that God had commanded Noah to build in the ark, it's not Noah who closes the door, it's God. It's as if God is saying, okay, I am in charge of this thing and I am going to start it. It's as if God is saying, I'm taking responsibility, Noah. You built the ark, thank you. I've got it from here and I'm going to be in charge of this time. My friend Robin Kaufman, who wrote a book that inspired this series called Surviving Epic Trials, talks about the significance of these six words, and the Lord shut him in, as a reminder that even in circumstances which feel totally overwhelming and disorienting for us, God is in charge of those circumstances. God is sovereign over those circumstances. And I have to be honest, many people who read the story of Noah in the 21st century have a hard time with it because it challenges their beliefs about God. How could God 
cast down judgment on millions and millions of people who were evil. How could God do something like this? This doesn't fit my view of God. And I want to remind you that what motivated God in this moment was grief and pain. In Genesis 6, verse 6, it says, The Lord regretted that he'd made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The word that's used there that we translate grieved is also used a little bit earlier in the Bible in the Garden of Eden. And it's the word that God uses to Adam when he says, Adam, you will go through pain to bring fruit and produce from the soil. It's the same word that that God uses to Eve when he says, Eve, you will experience great pain in childbirth. That word that's pain for Adam and Eve is the word that's used there for grief for God's heart. God was grieved and he was pained by the brokenness and the evil and the sinfulness of mankind. And that is why he brought the flood. And I know for many of us who try to wrap our heads around something like that, we ask, okay, but why? Why? That doesn't make sense. If you've never asked the question, why to God, I wonder if you've ever been through anything difficult or hard. Why is a very human question. And it often comes from a place of deep pain when we're trying to make sense of what we believe about God in light of our circumstances. And we're trying to bring those two things together. And when you go through a storm, A storm is going to challenge your views about God and you may end up in a place where you're asking hard or surprising questions because of the depth of your emotion and your pain. For many of us, our why question in the middle of the storm we're in today comes from grief. A couple weeks ago, it was a Monday and I was sitting in our kitchen My wife was doing her work as a prosecuting attorney. I was doing uh, prep work for something here at the church. Our kids were doing their homework, all in a very confined space. And my phone buzzed, and it was a breaking news alert. And it was an alert that uh, we were going to be staying home for the whole month of April with an extension of the stay-at-home order. A few hours later, I got another breaking news alert on my phone, and it was that our kids were going to be finishing up the school year at home. And I started to get emotional and I was surprised by the emotion. And I just was like, why am I getting so emotional over this? Why am I getting emotional over breaking news alerts on my phone? Why am I getting emotional that we're going to be home for this long? Why am I getting emotional that my second grader and kindergartners are going to be home for school? And then somebody pointed out later, is it possible that what you're feeling is grief? And I was grieving the loss of what I thought April and May were going to include. Lots of events, experiences, trips, and times. The life that we had before this. The life that my kids had before this. And where we were now. And the death of that produced grief in me. And if you've been through grief, you know the truth. That grief tempts us with false beliefs about God. When you're in a place of deep pain, you begin to wonder some larger questions. You begin to consider some things about God that aren't true. You begin to think, well, God must not care about me. God must not care about my experience. God must not care about what I'm going through. God doesn't care. Or you go, 
Look, I, I can't do anything then. If this is where I am and what, this is what I'm experiencing, well, then I guess just God can't do anything about it. That's why it hasn't changed. Because God's not able to do anything about it. Or, or you go, God has abandoned me. You know, I'm here. God's there. And he's left me to deal with this on my own. God has completely left me. Or you go to a really dark place where you say, I must have done something wrong to deserve this. I must have sinned in some way. I must have done something that God didn't like. And so this is now punishment. See, storms challenge our beliefs about God. And when you're in a storm, don't be surprised that you have to wrestle with what you believe about God like you never have before. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. That just often means that you're in deep pain. Let's see what happens in the rest of Noah's story. It says the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and they bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered and the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Remember cubit is an ancient measure of, of distance. So we're talking 15 cubits is at least, uh, you know, at least two or three feet. So we're talking 30 to 40 feet above the, t- the highest mountains and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He, God, blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. The third lesson from the first part of Noah's experience in the flood is that storms often last longer than we expect. So we have the fact that storms often are more difficult than we expect. That's why it looks different in the middle than the beginning. We also have that storms often last longer than they expect. That's why it's often more difficult in the middle than the beginning. When we first Here, God speaks to Noah about the flood. God tells Noah in Genesis 7, 4, that he's going to send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Noah goes into the ark and he's in the ark for seven days before the flood. So I have, I have seven paper clips here to illustrate this. This is how long Noah is in the ark before the flood starts. He's in the ark for seven days. And then God shuts the ark. And after God shuts the ark, he's in the ark for 40 days and 40 nights while it rains. And so he kind of expected that. Hey, I'm going to be in the ark for a while. I'm going to be in it for seven days. And then I'm going to be in it for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's not a brief period. I mean, 47 days is for some of us as long as we've been in it. But that isn't the end of the story. See, he thought he was going to be in it for 40 days and 40 nights until we see how long the water surged or rose on the earth. And that is 150 days. So I've invited Pastor Clovis out here to help me illustrate this. He has 110 paper clips attached. I have 47 paper clips attached. 
If my kids are watching, thank you guys for helping me attach all these last night. And this is actually a picture of how long Noah and his family were on the ark while it rained. Seven days and then 150 days. This is how long he thought it was going to be. To Clovis is how long it was. A lot longer than he expected it to be. Thanks, Clovis. I told you last week in the message that God doesn't tell us everything during the storms. And that's often true when the storms last longer or end up more difficult. It's not that God is lying to us. I think it's God's being kind to us because if we knew the full extent of it, we would be overwhelmed. I know his kids by this point are grown. They have wives of their own. But I have to believe at a certain point in the story, they're making like a tally mark. (laughs) And they're like 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. Hey, dad. (laughs) I thought we were going to be here for 40 days and 40 nights. They're not young enough to be saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? But I have to believe that they began to experience some sense of frustration and discouragement as things went longer and longer and longer. One of my favorite memes about what's happening in our lives right now is this one. You know, every day feels the same. And I have to believe that for Noah and his family, they could totally relate to that. Because it wasn't just that the water had fallen on the earth and the water was rising on the earth and the earth was being flooded. I think Adam, sorry, Adam, Noah and his family were being flooded with all sorts of emotions. And flooded is a great term to describe how we often feel in moments and times like this. Flooded with grief and angst. Flooded with confusion and discouragement. Flooded with anger and rage flooded with depression and fear. And one of the things that's been really helpful for me as I have navigated through this current storm and the emotions that I have been flooded by is going through a study that my friend Robin Kaufman wrote called Surviving Epic Trials. And I am going to invite Robin out right now to join me. And what we're going to do in this time is we're going to talk very practically about what you do when you're in this phase of the storm. So, hey, Robin. Hi. So, Robin is an author, and you are also a board-certified Christian counselor. Yes. And you work with a lot of people who come to you when they're in this particular type of season. Yes. The storm has started, and then it's taking longer than they expected. It's harder than they expected. They're not doing as good as they would have expected. And they come to see you mm-hmm. for some help and some guidance. Mm-hmm. Yes, and at this point of someone's journey, when you're in a thick of a storm or a trial, uh, we got to just be honest about what's realistic. And what I tend to share with my clients um, at this point is the number one goal is stripped down to just staying safe, sane, and alive. So say those words again. To stay safe, sane, and alive. That is the goal when you are, like you picture Noah, when he, the 40 days of constant flooding is happening. It's not about adding more to your schedule or becoming more efficient. It's just staying safe, sane, and alive. 
So it's really simplifying down. Now, these are words that I think a lot of us use in our regular vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that we know what you mean sure. when you say those words. So we kind of came up with some definitions with you this week for each of these. Can you walk us through what these sure. words mean? So staying safe, obviously, is a physical need. But more than that, I'm thinking in terms of mental and psychological safety. When uh, we're in a trial, there's a temptation to tip into the overs of life where we are going past what's healthy for us. Um, that could look like overeating, oversleeping, over drinking, over spending, over consumption of media. Uh, it could also mean under, under functioning where you are struggling with insomnia or not eating because of the stress. And anytime we're we're pushed out of what our healthy state is, uh, we are not safe. Okay, so that's stay safe. Then mm-hmm. next is stay sane. Stay sane, yeah. Uh, I think we can all relate to feeling like we're going crazy sometimes. We got adjusted to social distancing publicly, but privately, uh, especially when we have littles, we don't have any space. And so um, adjusting our expectations to meet our reality is so, so key because our Our expectations can even be realistic, but they're not being met on a daily basis like uh, we're used to. Okay. And then stay alive. Stay alive. To keep us in a healthy place, we need to be sharing our experience with someone else we trust and asking uh, them to help hold us accountable um, and to just honor that we are vulnerable and that we need to stay connected. Okay, so the first thing we can do if we're flooded in this mm-hmm. time, uh, hopefully we're not being flooded like Noah was physically, but if we're being flooded emotionally yeah. and, and really struggling in this period of the storm, we can stay safe, we can stay sane, we can stay alive. That's our goal. Yeah. Um, one of the phrases you use when talking about the experience of Noah is that he went through a season of disorientation. Yes. And I think you would say that when we're in a storm like this, we're going through disorientation too. Can you talk about that? Yeah, when you think about it, in Sunday school, I learned about the 40 days. I had no idea about the 150 or the 110 more. And that's a period of free floating. If you think about it, the ark had no place to anchor, no place to dock. It was literally free floating. And I think that as um, a society right now, we're feeling like we are free floating. And there's that constant sense of instability that we can't just put our finger on it, but we sense it. Um, and that's where we need to, um, to ground ourselves. And staying safe, staying alive is our starting point on that. So disorientation is often that period, you would say, where we don't actually know where we are. And we're not feeling like we're attached to anything. Mm -hmm. And um, that can feel paralyzing. It can feel scary because we feel out of control. Um, And so we should expect that feeling it's and normal. give ourselves grace. It's normal. And it's, it's just, we're collectively feeling that mm-hmm. and individually and privately we're feeling that. And that's, it's settling and we just need to call it for what it is. One of the things that you talk about in your study, and I mentioned it a little while ago in the message is that, um, you know, this, this season, uh, in this part of the storm for, for Noah and in our storms that we're going through today, whether it's COVID-19 or something else. I know people who are, who are grieving the losses of family members or grieving the losses of businesses, or there were other things that were happening before COVID-19, other storms. Those experiences are grief. Um, I, I don't think we do grief very well as a culture. Can you talk to us about grief? So if we think through, um, Grief, we associate it oftentimes with something very sad of a significant loss of a loved one or something that we can um, 
all identify with. What we're experiencing right now is many, many, like M-I-N-I griefs, a lot of mini losses, whether it's um, getting together for someone's birthday party or something significant like graduation, um, loss of plans and dreams. You mentioned earlier in the message about trips that you had planned. And grief is what helps us close the gap between our expectations and our reality. So we, we go about life thinking, okay, this is where I plan to go. And then um, reality hits. Um, kids wake up and they're kind of on edge. Um, we can't get good internet service now that we're working from home. And life starts looking like this really, really fast. And that gap where here's reality and here's expectations, the more they're off, the more grief and angst we have, and we need to acknowledge that space in between and um, adjust. And that and grieving is part of how you adjust. Now, I will tell you that this is the part for me that I think is the most personal and relevant because mm-hmm. I feel like I have just been pounding my head against the wall yeah. trying to figure out what are realistic expectations these days. Yeah. And I just feel like I, this is the thing I just can't get to. Like, mm-hmm. How do I set... I feel like they're realistic, right. but I keep learning, no, no, these are not going to be met. They're not going to be working out. So, so coach me, counsel me a little bit. Mm-hmm. How do I deal with my continual unrealistic unmet expectations right now in a way that doesn't drive me mad? Well, I want to just acknowledge your, re- your expectations are probably realistic. They're just not being met. Okay. And a lot of times, um, what is helpful is if we just acknowledge, like literally say out loud, I expected blank and now blank is happening. Chemically, that changes something in our brains that helps us settle a bit. And so I encourage you to, the minute you start feeling agitated or sad or angry, um, that you figure out, okay, what was I expecting to happen in this moment? Name that out loud, maybe even share it with someone and then name what is happening and then what what you need to do with that, whether it's to grieve that loss or give yourself grace and lighten up the pressure you're putting on yourself to then match what is. We were talking this week and you made a really interesting comment about kids yeah. and grief. That really helped me as a parent. Yes. Grief feels so heavy and... Um, sorrowful. Uh, It's important to know grief manifests itself in many ways, especially in kids. Grief shows up in anger and acting out. Um, And I think some of us um, who are high capacity are, we're ourselves finding ourselves um, digressing a little bit (laughs) and regressing a little bit. And so when we find ourselves irritable, we see our kids acting up and out. Um, the tendency is to, to discipline them, but what if we slow that down and think, okay, what are they grieving right now? What mm. are they, um, what's their losses of not being able to have play dates or have mom and dad are actually home, but they're not available because they're working and there's so many disconnects. So that's super helpful. You've created a resource that we put on our page um, 
uh, about how to process trauma yeah. and trials. You want to talk to us about that? Yes, yes, yes. Um, this is something I use with my clients that go through a lot of traumatic experiences, and we have found that it works very well no matter what level of storm you're in. Um, and I just walk you through uh, some perspective and some questions to ask yourself um, related to grief and how to process it. And this helps you kind of categorize that. Uh, Kierkegaard, his philosopher, mm -hmm. said um, his definition of grief is um, remembering the future you'll never have. Remembering the future you'll never have. And I think that's a great um, relatable experience we're all having. Yeah. And so that tool I shared with you is to help guide you through that. So that's available at prescottcornerstone.com slash unsinkable. You can download a free copy of this. Mm -hmm. And then Robin, the, the last thing, the thing we want to talk about is, is this importance of really coming back to who God is mm -hmm. with us in the middle of our storms. And you talk about anchoring ourselves in the promises of God. Yeah. Can you unpack that? So when, when we are free floating, when we are feeling unstable and we don't know where to hold on to and ground ourselves. This is where it's so important to ground ourselves in the promises of God because our reality doesn't seem to match those promises. And so we have a choice to either um, look to our circumstances to say what is true or look to what God promises is true. Uh, again, I offer another resource um, we've made available to Cornerstone and anyone else uh, about the heart of God. And this is basically a list of attributes of God that are, are um, proven through scripture of who he is that we can anchor in and um, claim um, because our world does not look stable right now. So you may be the expert on this, quote unquote, but you're also experiencing it too. Yes. So what is a promise of God that you've been anchoring yourself in as you try to navigate through this storm right along with us? Yeah. And you know, what stands out to me is not even based on COVID, but based on multiple trials and traumas in, in my past. Um, and it's probably the attribute of, of God being with us, that nothing escapes his notice in, in the most, like you were mentioning, tender way, saying that. Not that his eyes are on me like I'm in trouble, but that his tender eyes are on me and nothing escapes his notice. And so even though I haven't experienced him yet as... Um, provider or healer, I can hang on to that he's with me and he notices what I'm going through and he will not abandon me until he completes what he promises. Well, again, if you're looking for some help with anchoring yourself in the promises of God, you can go to prestonecornerstone.com slash unsinkable. And this chart is there. And there's, I think, 50, I counted them, 50 scriptures on this chart that walk you through at least these qualities of God. And there's so many more. Mm -hmm. And, um, man, Robin, I, I think what you've created is such an incredible gift. It's super, super helpful. We know that there's a lot of us uh, that are feeling flooded during this time. And as Robin said, it's so important to have somebody to talk to. And so if you're feeling flooded, particularly today, and you would love to talk to somebody, we want to make an avenue available for you. You can text the word flooded to 928-288-5490 and speak to one of our pastoral team. They'd love to come alongside you and encourage you over text today and maybe in a different context during this week. And so we'd encourage you, write that number down, 928 288-5490. You can text the word flooded and begin a conversation today.
we're hoping and praying that this series called Unsinkable just brings the hope and encouragement you need for the storm you're facing today, whether it's COVID-19 or something else. We want to encourage you this week to go online to our website to prescottcornerstone.com slash unsinkable. There's a number of resources there, including the two guides, the two PDFs that Robin and I talked about, about how to process trials and how to anchor yourself in the heart of God and his promises. Robin, you've been working on this stuff for a long time and you have a new version that you've updated. You're making available in the next couple weeks. Tell us about that. Yes. So uh, I first taught this study like five years ago, put it in writing three years ago, and then uh, starting next week, I'm launching it online so more people can have access to it. I'll be opening up like an an e-course, and that um, is finishing touches are going on it and will be made available starting the week of May 3rd. And you can go to survivingepictrials.com, join the interest list, and then there'll be some options for you starting next week after the 3rd um, to engage um, with the study. Also, that, that link is also on our website, prescottcornerstone.com slash unsinkable. Uh, this isn't a commercial, but I've just seen the life-transforming power of, the, of this study and the insight you brought to it and uh, just had to share it. We're also going to be going online this week, Robin and I, on Facebook. We do a Facebook Live every Wednesday at noon, and um, Robin is going to be our guest this week. We're going to be taking questions, so um, you can go on to Facebook and search Prescott Cornerstone, find our page, and join us there. And if you have a question for us, you go, man, I've just been wondering this while while we've been talking today, while Robin was sharing. If you have a question, we would encourage you, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, to leave that in the chat where you're watching. And one of our team members will copy and paste that and send it our way. Or if you're watching on our live page, prescottcornerstone.com slash live, there's a form there that you can um, fill out and tell us who's watching with you. And in that comment section, you can leave your question there as well. Um, Also be taking questions live on Wednesday on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, don't worry. We're going to record this and it'll go on our video archive page. This is the link, vimeo.com slash Cornerstone later in the day on Wednesday. Thank you so much, Robin, for being with us, for investing in our church. We're better for it. And I really believe that God put this material in your heart and your head for a time like this. So we're going to pray for you as we close today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this time. We prayed at the beginning that it would be hopeful, that it would be encouraging, and that you would meet us here. And I believe you've answered those prayers. So for those who are watching, who are feeling flooded, I pray that they would know that they're not alone, that there's hope. And as we journey through this time together, the the COVID-19 storms that we're facing and the rest of the storms in life, because those haven't stopped either, we pray that we would know that you're with us in the storm, that you're working and that you are going to do incredible things on the other side of this. And because of that, we can say it as well. We pray that you continue to be with us and you continue to work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks guys so much. We'll see you next week.